Between the Barrels, where every rider has a story. Hey everyone, welcome to Between the Barrels. I'm your host, Madeline Green. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode with Jamie. I feel like I learned a lot and I really enjoyed hearing about the way he does certain things when it comes to training and riding. And this week's guest is no different. Dakota Monk is always in the results wherever he goes and seems to get his hands on some of the most amazing horses. I guess maybe that is a true reflection of his training skills. Take a listen. How are you doing, Dakota? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So I kind of start all my interviews out like this, but tell us the Dakota Monk story. How did you get started in barrel racing? Just kind of fill us in on your story. I just grew up barrel racing and riding horses with my mom and uh, siblings. She kind of did training on the side, helping give lessons and that kind of stuff. So we just did like play days and jackpots and then when I turned 12, we moved next door to a cutting trainer, and I wanted a job, so I asked if I could work there, and so I started there cleaning stalls and exercising the open horses, and then he started letting me do more, and I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a trainer, but I didn't know like exactly if I wanted to do barrels or cutting, right. so um, I got a little bit addicted to cutting, so I stayed with that for like six years. Wow. And um, I worked for him for like a year and a half, and then I went on and worked for Pat Crawford and Lee Principal and showed under them and had really a lot of fun and success with that. And then I think I just got a little bit burned out and wanted to work for myself. And so I was like, I could just go back home and take barrel horses and kind of what I've learned with cutting horses and kind of put it over into the barrels and kind of do my own thing. So I did that because the cutting is kind of hard to get started out on your own Mm -hmm. with cows and facility and all that stuff. So I did that and then mainly just took open horses that I was fixing and I would break some colts and I really enjoyed taking an open horse that had potential to be better and I could get it to be you know I'd get it and it was like a 3D horse and I'd start winning stuff on it or fixing alleyway problems or uh, blown up horses I was really good at fixing those so I enjoyed that for a long time and then I kind of got burned out again because I am get really attached to the horses and mm-hmm. with open horses it's usually like as soon as I get them working and fixed the owners obviously want them back Right. And so I didn't handle that very well. So (laughs) I was like, what can I do that I get to keep these horses for a long time? Right. And uh, so the paturity stuff was kind of getting a little bit better, too, in the barrel horse industry. So I started trying to do that and just kind of took off from there when I got my first paturity horse. He was actually a reject cutter. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We did really good. So. I was addicted then. That's funny. Do you feel like, you know, doing the cutting thing improved your barrel racing? Oh, 100%. Like, the only thing I regret doing or I wish I would have done or known to do back then was go work for an actual barrel horse trainer. Right. Just where I think it would have sped up my career just a little bit Mm -hmm. as far as getting into the futurity stuff and how it all works and all that stuff. But I still 
so glad that I did the cutting thing because yes, I learned so much from kind of the trainers there and just how a horse is supposed to move and how I like a horse feet broke. And it really helps, you know, carry over to the barrels. Talk about kind of what do you find most fulfilling about barrel racing? Um, Winning? <laughs> well, yeah. That, I don't know. I just like going fast. And then I like kind of get unseated if like a horse is real athletic and, mm-hmm. you know, I have to really hang on. That's fun. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me like a little bit of the cutting horses like, you know, they'll unseat you a little bit if they're really working right. or catch you off guard. So, yeah, I like going fast and turning hard. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's funny. How do you feel like you mentally prepare before, like, a competition? Do you have any, like, pre-race rituals or routines you have to do, or do you kind of just go with the flow? I used to get really nervous a long time ago. I mean, I still do, depending on the race and the horse that I'm on, but nothing like I used to. Like, I used to get really nervous at show like bigger shows Mm -hmm. and I would just usually sing Amazing Grace and that helped me a lot I love that (laughs) and um I always pray before I run but mainly as far as like what I do with the horses it's just kind of get them moving their feet and moving off my leg and getting them soft in the rib cage and just kind of moving around right before my run in the holding pen I never just stand there so I feel like when you stand a horse most horses they when you do walk off to go to the alleyway I mean they just get a rush and then they're just kind of a little basket case but if you kind of keep their feet moving and thinking and they just kind of stay relaxed and ready for the job right I like that my dad's really big on that too he's always like stop standing around (laughs) (laughs) yeah what do you believe kind of sets apart the more of the top tier in barrel racing jockeys from the rest and how do you kind of strive to achieve that in the sport I think it's the horseman part of it Mm -hmm. I mean I've seen people win that had no horsemanship whatsoever so you know but I feel like it's if there's a person that has no horsemanship it's usually the horse that carries the load Mm -hmm. and they just you know have fun and go for it and they win and that's great but as far as um, making a winner over and over or being successful a long time, I feel like it's horsemanship uh, is your friend. I mean, I still suck sometimes, but <laughs> I try to go back to, you know, keeping the horse broke and figuring out what exactly is wrong with the horse, why it wasn't 100% or, you know, some days they just have off days. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like it's horsemanship. Right. Yeah. And so when your horses do have off days or you have off days, how do you kind of get past those bad runs and move forward from them? Um, I mean, right when it happens, it's not easy to swallow, but um, I try not to think about it. Like I still do the same thing to my horses. If it's, I mean, you might catch me stop a horse and back it up when it does really bad in the arena or like spinning around if it was terrible. But as far as a good horse, like I do the same thing. I just pat them, walk them off, Mm -hmm. take them in the alleyway and get off of them. Like, because I mean, they just, it was either me or they just wasn't hundred percent that day. And that's fine. It hurts a little bit for sure, but you just have to let it go. Yeah. Don't let it destroy the rest of your time. No, 
No. Kind of discuss your training philosophy and approach when you're working with horses. I'm not a huge like all over the place drills, but I have like two drills that I do or maybe two on the uh, barrel pattern and then I do like my pole drill. I just, my thing, I feel like sometimes I'll kind of get off of it a little bit, but I just mainly they go straight to their spot every single time. I don't do these big circles or little circles or uh, rollovers or stopping all that stuff. I just try to keep them in the bridle when I approach the barrel and they get past my leg and they make the turn. Mm-hmm. I don't really make these huge pockets a lot of times or that kind of stuff. I just like them to go straight to their spot where they would go if we were running. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, there are certain horses that I have to work different. Like I always have to, you know, remind myself they're not all the same. Right. And so if they need more room to kind of get through to them that when that run, they don't, they can't be that tight. That's fine. But most of the time, it's just where I'm wanting them to run. When I'm running, that's where I work on slow. It just might be a little bit rounder, might be a little bit more collected, obviously. And then as far as my pole drill, it's I feel like it's just really good for them to keep them relaxed and holding their leads, switching their leads. And it's a really good exercise, like cardio exercise, because it lasts a while right. how I do the drill on the pattern. Because um, I don't just run through the poles. I just mainly just use them for, like, I lope down there, turn the end pole, and kind of stay big. And then when I get in the middle, I bump them down to a trot and ask them to switch their lead. Hmm. And then I circle that second pole twice, and I do that all the way down and then all the way back up. And then, like, when I get them a little bit more advanced, I want them to switch their lead, like a flying lead change in the middle. But I don't let them start the turn. They kind of have to go straight and then around, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I don't – I mean, obviously, they catch on and they know the pole drill or know the pole pattern then, and I could run them through if I wanted, I guess, but – I don't like them to like fall on their lead. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever let them just like cruise through the poles. I just make them, I'm just kind of using them for a drill. Right. What do you feel like you're getting from doing that pole drill? I just feel like feet work is a huge thing in barrels and feel like it obviously changes it up for them. So they're not just doing the same thing on the barrels all the time. Right. You're constantly uh, bumping them down like they have to. Because when I want a horse to stop, I want them to melt and stop. I don't want them to hit their front feet and stop or slide on their butt really hard. I want them to just kind of melt on all four and get soft in the face right before they stop. And so that the middle where I bump them down to a trot, they have to get soft there. And then they have to think really fast and switch their lead. And then they have to hold their lead while I circle the pole twice. And so like really hot horses, it's really good for because they'll finally just kind of relax, think about you and what you're wanting them to do. And then we do it a lot on the babies that were patterned on the barrels because it teaches them the lead change really fast. That's pretty cool. I haven't played a lot with those kind of drills. I've done, you know, barrel drills, but not pole drills. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to have a hard time trying to do it. Though. <laughs> I'll be like, right, no, it would be really easy. <laughs> it really does. Kind of talk about the qualities that you look for in potential prospects. I've never been really good about looking at a horse. I mean, obviously, I don't want this terrible confirmation. But I just, one or 
been really successful on so many different horses. It really didn't matter what they look like. So I don't, I mean, there are a few that I'm like, "Mm, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I don't try to count them out just yet. Right. So I don't, that's not the first thing that I look at. I really don't start judging them or doing anything until they're like maybe 90 days on the pattern or something. But usually I can, like the greats ones, I've felt it, you know, within a couple of days on the barrels. They just like go to it like you've been doing it for 30 days and they've only been on it for two days. And they might get excited when they make a certain move. All the horses I've done really good on, they might kick up on the backside when they take off and it's just a lope, like they're just babies loping and they get so excited about it and so I kind of look for those kind of things just um their work ethic like if they never really get mad about it or act like it's so much work to move their feet those horses have always done really good or what they play around all the time while they're doing really good I really like that and then obviously I mean as far as their themselves I like their eyes I look at their eyes and you know how they move obviously but like I said I did really good on some horses that looked terrible (laughs) (laughs) so So you don't discriminate against any (laughs) no not not at at first has there been like a certain breed or anything that you've done better on um I mean my go sweet Eddie was a Eddie Stinson in 2014 did really good on her and then I always, you know, loved the Eddie Simpsons from then on. And then I've always had really good luck and gotten along with anything that's got Dash Fame on the bottom, on the mom's side. And obviously, if they have some French Wings guy in there with the Dash Fame, then I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my first year to have some epics, and I feel like I do really good with those. They're a little different, but I get along with them. And they're really cool. And their style gets along with me. I like the slicks. Mm -hmm. They can be different, too, for sure. But I'm figuring them out a little by little. (laughs) Right. Obviously, you have a lot of great clients that you ride for. Do you own any of the horses? Um, So I have a bunch of incentive babies coming up. I was, like, late to the wagon. So when I started breeding and wanting to raise my own I started out with right before it was like I guess we were in our third year of having babies and then the pink buckle happened and this stud that I was breeding everything to because I liked him he's never going to be in an incident oh no uh, so I had to start all over I, sold <laughs> all of them. I kept three of them for my daughter uh, just because we really liked their moms and we kind of got a little bit attached to them. But, yeah, I'm, I'm late to it, but I'm working at it. <laughs> so kind of jumping off of that, you know, obviously you were in the middle of the change of the futurities and that kind of thing. What do you think about all the different incentives and, and you being a part of having, you know, a stud you liked that now those babies would never be in it? What are your thoughts on it? I mean, it was very unfortunate for sure. But as far as business and as far as our industry, it's amazing. So I'm not ever going to complain about it. I mean, it's kind of sad for some, for those kind of studs or people that can't play the game as far as money goes. But 
as far as us trainers, owners, breeders, you know, the higher-end breeders, I have no complaints at all whatsoever. Like, it's amazing to me. We're kind of able to, you know, actually make some money instead of just doing it because we love it. (laughs) Right, yeah. Since you do work with so many younger horses, how do you keep their mental game on point? I'm a really big chicken with that, so um, you won't really see me push on a Mm -hmm. baby unless they just kind of take the bridle and do it like the ones that I've went on have. There are a few. It just kind of depends on their personality. If I feel like I can push on them without making them set back in their confidence or get frazzled, then I'll definitely push on one. But it's going to be later in the year for sure, like now, spring, summer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just... I'm, I tell my all my owners, new clients, whatever, if they are going to expect me to push the horse out of their com- comfort zone just because they want to win right now or right when we start entering, then I'm not the trainer for them. They need to go somewhere else mm-hmm. because I will not blow up a horse. I mean, I don't think I ever have, but I'm not going to intentionally blow up a horse by trying to make them win the slot race or trying to make them win the first two fraternities that we enter. I'm literally just going to go faster than my exhibition probably. Right. (laughs) And then if they start wanting to run faster and they stay in the same pattern and they are confident and do what they're supposed to do going a little bit faster than each run, I will ask for more. But Mm -hmm. I want a horse at the end for either the owner or if we decide to sell it. And then I just, I don't know, I feel like I'm a pretty calm rider. I just keep them really quiet in the back in exhibitions and then after my run I feel like it's really important to to walk them off until they chill down not just jump off of them I usually always get off of them in the alleyway and loosen them off and take their boots off Um, I feel like that makes a huge difference it always has like when I was fixing blown up horses open horses Mm -hmm. as far as alleyway problems it's the weirdest thing that just doing that simple thing will literally fix your horse if there's no pain involved like why they're doing it if you eliminate all the reasons why they were doing it if you just did that simple thing they usually just start going in the alleyway like it's nothing right and it's just after your run or during exhibitions if you'll just get off of them in the alleyway yeah just kind of changing up their routine a little bit and making them at least feel like you're not just running them and getting off and putting them back you know i don't know if it's their adrenaline after the run if you just jump off of them and then run them back to their stall or their trailer I don't know what it does with their brain, but I just have always had a lot of luck with just walking them until they chill off and then going and putting them up. Would you consider yourself more of a square rider or a round rider, or do you feel like you, you're kind of versatile, you can kind of do everything? I mean, obviously, it depends on the horse. Um, I don't mind a round horse if their butt and their head meet at the same time around the barrel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like if they're underneath their self. But I'm, I hate a sloppy round horse like that's running and their ass is kind of out and their nose is at the barrel. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. can't stand that. So, but I do feel like I try to get my horses kind of in between a little bit around and some square snap to it. Definitely not round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there any specific bits that you like over other bits? Yeah, I have like 300 bits, but I ride like 10. <laughs> uh, the, mo- the one that I've had the most success on is the combination with the chain mouthpiece. It's still nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my Hackamore, which is the same thing without the mouthpiece. I really like it. And then 
I used to not be able to run anything in a Kathy James as far as running them in it. I would love working horses in it, but the last two years, I guess the horses, I don't know. Right. Um, I've ran a lot in a Kathy and I always love the feel of it. But I just, I don't, I try to ride in more bit than I need because when I run, I don't want to have to pull or panic my hands. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I have plenty of control and the horse is not scared, obviously, of the bit. But if they respect it, then you can stay light in your run with your hands and you don't have to panic when you feel like you don't have anything. I'll usually ride in more bit than the horse probably needs, just where I can stay quiet with my hands. What advice would you kind of give someone who's wanting to maybe break into the training and futurity world? Like I said, don't make my mistake. Go work for somebody that is in the futurity industry, even if you wouldn't work for somebody else as far as like cow horses or cutting or roping or whatever. Go work for a futurity trainer or intern with one where you can learn all the ins and outs because there's so much more than going around three barrels. Right. <laughs> seems so easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like some people, when they are wanting to start getting into the industry, they kind of have a hard time finding maybe clients. I feel like you have a lot of great clients. What advice do you have on finding good clients? You, if you're working for someone, they're going to throw you a bone when you do decide to go out on your own and you only need a couple of clients to believe in you and give you some horses every year. And so if you go work for a respectable trainer, they're going to have more than they need as far as horses. So they're going to recommend you to those clients that maybe those horses just aren't going to make it as far as winners, but they'll be placers. And so the owners still want them to go and get experience and get finished out in the paturity scene. And then always try to have you an open horse that's really good that you can go to these shows and run. And that's your advertisement. If you're out there all the time doing really good on an open horse, you know, people are going to notice you. Definitely just, you might not get along with the first paturity trainer. You can just you know, keep kind of going around until you find the one that fits you in your training style and your personality and stay with them for as long as you can. It's definitely not, I don't know if some people think interning for a couple months and then you're just going to go and get clients and be a trainer. I don't feel like that's, I feel like it needs to be years. I mean, two years at the minimum as far as working for somebody, especially if you have no experience training horses. That's just my advice. Yeah. Who are some people that you've looked up to as your influences over the years? Uh, So, again, I had to do it the hard way. So, at (laughs) shows, I would literally just creep on Jolene Montgomery, um, Ashley Schaefer, um, Troy Cumrun. I would literally just watch them in the warrant pen, watch them when they exhibition, watch every run they made. And this was before... I mean, I guess we had Facebook. I don't know. I think we had MySpace. <laughs> so it really wasn't a lot of posts. So at the shows, I would just be like stalker. Even at their stalls, I was like <laughs> watching every move they made and trying to be their friend. Yeah. Those are some good ones to creep on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still creep on them, so. 
That's hilarious. So obviously, you know, you ride so many horses, but are there any that stand out as extra special to you and kind of tell us your story together? Oh, for sure. Uh, Obviously, Fame and Slim and Drop is one of a kind. I mean, as far as we talked about bits a while ago, she and I said I ride her proud and bigger bits than they need and all that stuff but mm-hmm. I guess when they're just badass you it really doesn't matter what's on their face right she actually was trained in a little cow horse bit with no curb chain like the whole time I exhibitioned her wow and she literally would feel like a runaway but would just get to the barrel and just melt in my hands and turn the barrel and then I think after the VFA uh, I was like, you know, she's running really hard. And I was like, I better put a curb chain on it. So I did. And that helped a little bit. I helped me mentally. <laughs> <laughs> but for sure, her, I think she literally would have ran the barrels without me. Right. Um, she was just that horse that knew she had it and knew that she wanted to win. It wasn't that she knew she had to go out there and do good or place. She wanted to win. And if the ground gave out, she would get so mad, like so mad. And then she would pout pretty much all day. (laughs) And then she was like the only horse that for some reason, she got like sick, like twice on me at some pretty big shows. Mm -hmm. Got a respiratory infection one day. And then I don't remember she spiked a fever for some reason. We didn't know it until after her run. Like she would not show it because I guess she knew she had to run that day. So she was just going to tough it out. Right. Like, she would either place or I just felt like something wasn't right in the run. And after her run, then she would show me, you know, that she was sick. I was like, if you would have showed me before. Almost like a little kid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, and then all that she went on to do. And I just hope that the few babies that her ex-owners have them, I hope that they at least have that. Like, she passed that on. Like right. Just the attitude that she had and the drive. And she was definitely a handful, though. She would definitely try to buck you off. She was a handful as far as, like, leading her because uh, she always felt like a million bucks. So she acted like a racehorse. Like, mm-hmm. she was always prancing beside you. And then if she was feeling really good, she would rear up. And then she'd figure out that she could rear up and put her leg over the leaf rope. And then she could get loose and she could <laughs> run. So she did that at two shows right before I run. And those are the shows that she won. Like the arena record at the Fizz Bomb. She got loose that morning when I went to Walker. Uh, and it took four people to help me catch her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then uh, Waco, she got loose and ran all over the asphalt. Oh, never God. slipped, never fell, nothing. But I was literally about to have a heart attack. That would be me. I would be crying. <laughs> <laughs> Pure panic. Yeah. yeah. But she was an angel like, as far as to like, I mean, people said she wasn't. that had to deal with her after me, but I had no problem with it. Right. <laughs> Obviously, Kane can. I yeah. Mean, she just speaks for herself. She's was totally different as far as her personality. Like she's an angel. Lazy, sweet, Alyssa Ratzer. Don't even know she's in the barn. At warm-up, she can, you know, she likes to spook at stuff and play. But she, she's kind of just always been huge personality. Knew she was bad, like bad to the bone. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, she will warm up in the at home. 
she's warming up and she'll like sling her head and she always tries to buck, but she cannot buck. It's terrible. <laughs> and both horses in the alleyway, like when, because I don't like to go from the back 40. Right. Um, they both like would sling their head and just like, let me go, let me go, let me go. And they did that early on, like before we even started running really fast. So it's just kind of crazy how they know what their job is and they can't get it done if I'm holding them back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, like you've got to trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, those are two main ones. I have so many that I could name and you would be like, Oh my God, I didn't ask for that many. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. It's, it's hard when you're, you get to, to ride so many different ones. Yeah. Yeah. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment of 2023? <laughs> Uh, I think it had to be the Breeders' Challenge. You can't really top that. Right. Just, the whole experience was, like, crazy. Because it's not that easy to win anything, obviously. But as far as how you have to win it, you have to make the round the one round and then the finals. And then, you know, how they do the stage and percent checks and all that stuff. And then you have to draw some however they did the draw for us to win the trailer and then I won the trailer too it's just like crazy right I haven't actually been my stepmom went I guess this past year and she's like it's a whole nother level (laughs) (laughs) yes yes it's um more how I guess they would do like the cutting stuff and maybe like jumping and that kind of stuff like they just and that's how it should be I feel like um, as far as especially a finals, mm-hmm. mini finals, I think that you should do what Lainey and Jade is doing for us. Thinking about your career as a whole, what win has meant the most to you? I don't know. There's so many with Famous Lemon Drop that obviously was so special because right. she would usually uh, sweep the futurities and that's not easy to do. No. Uh, there was like a probably three fraternities that we went to that she had to run three times because they did like the slot races back then then you had to actually run at them and not do side pot she would win all all three rounds like the slot race and then two rounds and then the average wow she did that Edna I don't know how many more times she did it and but I think the funnest run on her would probably be BBR or the fizz bomb when Mm -hmm. she set the arena record there but I mean every run on her was so fun right it didn't matter one or not lastly what i like to ask is what do you still hope to achieve in the sport of barrel racing and what impact do you hope to have on the sport i mean i just hope that i make a winner whether it's after i get done with it or while i have it uh each year for somebody uh, that i can watch later as far as achievements (laughs) i don't know i have my bar set really high as far as how much money I want to win yeah, when I, when I get done or now I'm like, well, I've won this, you know, certain fraternity. So my goal is now to win all the other fraternities. So I can say, I guess that I can, I've won every fraternity there is to win while right. I was running. For sure. That's a great goal. I haven't got to derby a horse that was really good. So it's supposed to have the chance with King Ken. So hopefully we can achieve some of those goals that I have with derbies. I love derby horses. 
Well, that is it for Between the Barrels. Make sure that you check back next week for a brand new interview. And you can always stay up to date with everything going on by following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all the things. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, but only good reviews. I'm your host, Madeline Green. Tune in next week.